Welcome. In 80 yards, turn left. Turn left in 80 yards. Turn left. In 100 yards, turn right. Turn right, no left. Recalculating. Turn right. You have arrived at your destination. Recalculating. Take the next exit. Turn around. Seriously, turn around. In 400 feet, turn right. Congratulations, you have arrived at your destination. GPS just absolutely fascinates me. I'm technologically challenged, so it doesn't take just a whole bunch to fascinate me, but I will tell you this, GPS really does. And I'll tell you why. Mary Alice isn't in here. She's in Discovery this morning. So I can say this without having to hear her say, I told you so. Uh, I have a bad habit of getting lost and then pretending I know where I am. (laughs) You know, even when she asks, haven't we seen that same store twice? I just say, I know where I am. I know where I am. Or if it's taking like an hour extra, I can just say, well, you know, it's just, we're just not making good time. (laughs) The truth of the matter is I I don't like to ask directions and I'm not real good at reading maps. And so I'll just kind of like try to find my way intuitively. I'm an intuitive person. And others of you, you're kind of a by the book kind of person. So you know how frustrating people like me can be. But GPS is something totally different. I, I, I experienced it you know, for the first time when I was in Scotland and we actually had a GPS unit and it was really cool because the lady who talked, you know, with the recording on the GPS had a British accent and she would say, you know, up ahead is the roundabout. And there were a lot of roundabouts over there in Scotland. And, and I just, I just really love that. I thought it was great, but I, I didn't think I would ever have one because about a year or so ago when I was buying my Honda Accord, I was over at the Honda dealership and the salesman was like showing me all the different packages that Honda puts on their Accord. And so of course he took me to the top of the line. He said, this Accord is equipped with our navigation system, dealer installed. And so he was kind of like showing me how you could like key in different stuff and it would find like the Chinese restaurant in case you didn't know where the Chinese restaurant was or whatever. You know, you could key in addresses and stuff and it did look impressive. And I did think that I needed one until I asked him how much it cost. He said, well, the the GPS system, uh, that package, isn't it great how they use that term? That package is about $2,000. At that moment, I decided I could afford to be lost. But anyway, after I had that experience in Scotland, you know, there was a time when Mary Alice had to go to a women's conference and she was going to be by herself driving in a city she'd never been before. I said, hey, let's go over to Walmart and see how much it would cost to get an aftermarket GPS system. And sure enough, we went over there and they had one on sale for $178. And that just really excited me because I thought, I think I can afford that. And I didn't know what it was like. I didn't know, you know, how complicated it was. I didn't know if I had to go out in the parking lot and build it and then, you know, whatever. But it really came pretty much in the box. And all we had to do is like, you know, put the suction cup on the windshield, connect it, and then, you know, put the, put the, um, the power cord in the cigarette lighter, which is the only action cigarette lighter in our car ever gets. 
But it was just really cool. It just blew me away. I was so excited to notice something. That $170 GPS system from Walmart suddenly was able to access billions of dollars of satellite equipment. And one of the coolest things that I saw when, I, when, I, when we plugged it in is it found us. Oh, that just that blew me away. I still, I, every once in a while, I just go out and turn it on just to see if it can find where I am. I love that. I mean, you know, where we are, we're just driving down Kellogg headed for K96, and, and it, it, it found us and, and told us what speed we were traveling, which caused me to look over my shoulder. But um, it, it was just so exciting that it, it saw us, it found us. We're going to be talking for the next four weeks about GPS. And you know, of course, I'm not going to be talking to you about the electronic system. I'm going to be talking to you about finding, finding your way through life. Because the whole thing about a GPS system is to keep you from being lost and to help you get to your destination. Now, in, the, in our lives, you know, finding our way through life is a lot more complex than finding your way through a town or a city or, you know, on a trip. How many of us, and I know I can, certainly put my, I can certainly put myself in this category that I'm about to describe. How many of us live through an experience and we think to ourselves when it was over, you know what, it wasn't as hard as I made it. Boy, I've been there many times. You know what, that wouldn't have been as hard if I could have, listen, if I could have known at the beginning what I found out at the end. If I could have just, this wasn't as hard as I made it. What we're really saying to ourselves was, saying to ourselves is this, wouldn't it be great if I could have had the information at the beginning that I had at the end? Wouldn't it have been great if I could have had someone guide me through this process? Well, the wonderful news for all of us here today is this, you do have someone who will guide you through life. He will help you get to your destination. I am convinced that God has a perfect plan for every human being in this room. You say, Mark, yeah, maybe he has a plan for you because you're a pastor. Or maybe he has a plan for Billy Graham or Mother. Maybe he had a plan for Mother Teresa. Maybe he has a plan for the sort of rock stars in the Christian life. Could I just tell you there are no rock stars in the Christian life? That in, your, in God's sight, you are just as important as Billy Graham. You're just as important as any missionary, any place on the planet. God loves you, and he has a perfect plan for your life. And he will help you get to your destination if you'll let him. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I just, I failed God so many times. Surely God doesn't have a plan for my life. Can I take you back to my experience for a moment? The thing that made me feel so cool was with that cheap Walmart system, I was acquiring billions of dollars of satellite information. Yeah, that's who we are. If you went home with, with you know, if, if you went home with me today and you could see me 24 hours a day, you wouldn't like everything you saw in me. And the cool thing about God is that no matter who you are, what you've done, he will help you get to your destination. Let me read to you a verse out of the book of Psalms that is just so wonderful. David said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon, the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? David was saying, God, you're the God of the creation. I'm the $170 Walmart version. Why do you care about me? What is it about me that makes you come to me and help me through life? Well, quite simply, it is the love of God. And no matter who you are today, I want to tell you something. God loves you. Now, 
Here's the deal. Here's what I've discovered. You know, before, before you can like key in any destination on your GPS, before the GPS will help you get to where you need to know, there is one very important piece of information, and that is, where are you? Where are you? The cool thing about GPS is it sees you where you are. I want to take you to the Old, to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis, to a story about maybe the last person in the world you would think that God would care for. She was a girl, a slave girl, and she was living in the house of, a, of an Old Testament couple who were very famous for their faith in God, Abraham and Sarah. Now, it was wrong for people to have slaves, but what we're going to see in our story today is that sometimes good people can do some very wrong things. Slavery was never part of God's plan. It was always an abomination. But, but Abraham and Sarah wound up with a girl living in their house who was a slave. Her name was Hagar. And from what we can tell, it kind of happened like this. There was a time when Abraham and Sarah were in Egypt. And there was some stuff that happened there that I won't talk about today. But in the process of time, the Pharaoh was trying to, like, make things right with Abraham and Sarah. And so he gave them all kinds of gifts. And from the best thing that we can figure out at this point... When Pharaoh was trying to square things with Abraham and Sarah, he said, I'm going to give you a slave girl for Sarah, and you can just own her. You, you, you will have the title to her. But he must have said something like this. I do need to warn you about one thing. You know, have you ever, you know, have you ever you know, been given a piece of equipment or something, and someone says, well, I do need to warn you about one thing. Well, unfortunately, slavery was a possibility back then. And Pharaoh was going to warn Abraham and Sarah. He said, I do need to warn you about one thing. This girl is a flight risk. Now, if I were a slave, I would be a flight risk. But this girl, <laughs> I can't wait till we get to heaven and get the whole story. This girl was such a flight risk that they called her flight. In fact, the name Hagar means runaway or flight. And so Pharaoh must have said to Abraham, I need to warn you about this one thing. This girl is a runaway. You're going to have to keep your eye on her because we've just not been able to keep her here. Well, time passes. Abraham and Sarah, they're now settled and Hagar is there. She's serving Miss Sarah. She's her servant girl. She's washing the clothes. She's cooking meals. You know, she's handling errands and stuff. But there's a, there's a subtext to the story. Actually, there's actually a larger text to the story that was going on. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. But the problem was Sarah couldn't get pregnant. It's kind of hard to be the father of many nations if you don't have one kid. And the biological clock was ticking. Not only was it ticking, the biological clock was beginning to scream. Because Abraham and Sarah had gone through their 40s, no baby. They would go down to Dylan's and get the pregnancy test kit, psh, no news. And then they were going through their 50s and no baby. They were going through their 60s and no baby. And they were really getting up there. And so, and, and, and what I should tell you is this, uh, that back in those days that women were considered blessed if they were able to have many children. So therefore, if a woman couldn't have many children or any children... It was seen as a sign that perhaps this woman was not being favored of God. It wasn't fair, just the way things were. So here's Sarah. She's feeling the pressure now. Because not only can she not get pregnant, there's this God-promised thing going that somewhere along the way they're going to have this baby and this, they're going to be the parents of, of many nations. So can you put yourself in Sarah's place, ladies? She's feeling the pressure. You know, month after month goes by, year after year goes by, no baby. And people are starting to look at her a little funny. And they've been, you know, talking behind their backs saying, we've been hearing about this promise thing and there's no action, nothing going on. So Sarah went to Abraham and she said, I've been thinking about this and 
I've got it figured out. Yeah, we're going to have a baby, but I'm not going to have the baby biologically. I need to be the surrogate mother. I got this slave girl, Hagar, whose name means runaway flight. I got this girl, Hagar, and, and maybe Abraham, what you need to do is to like marry her and see if she can have a baby and then I'll have the baby by proxy. How many of you have discovered that men can be dumb as dirt? Abraham may have been the father of faith, but this was his opportunity to say, no, baby, I don't want to do that. God has made us a promise. We're just going to wait on God. Abraham said, sounds like a plan to me. (laughs) And so he marries this girl, Hagar, you know, and and not long after that, Hagar gets pregnant, but now there are issues in the family. Some of you in Odyssey away, you may be reading through the Old Testament and you're reading about stories where guys have more than one wife, and especially with a little polygamy thing that's going on down in Texas, every once in a while somebody will ask me, was it ever God's will for a man to have more than one wife? And the answer to that question is no, no, no. In fact, when you read the Bible, there are stories of men who have more than one wife, but it is always a bad idea in the Bible, and it always ends up badly. So now Abraham's got two wives. He's got Sarah who could never get pregnant. He's got Hagar, but she's kind of a slave, but now she's kind of a wife. Have you ever been in a situation where it's like all the roles are all scrambled up and you got to work with somebody and the titles are all mixed up and you don't know who answers to who and who's equal and who's superior and all that kind of thing? If you've ever been in that kind of environment, you can imagine what it was like for Sarah and Hagar because Sarah still, you know, she's still the boss. And she's telling Hagar, you know, hey, I want you to get up and, and do the dishes. And Hagar's saying, I don't feel like it. And after all, you know, I'm a wife too. And, and one of us is pregnant and one of us is not. It looks like one of us is blessed and one of us is not. And this kind of stuff was going on in the house. And after a while, Sarah had had all she could take of this. And so she went to Abraham and said, you know, that idea you had, that was really stupid. <laughs> because now Hagar is dissing me. And, and Abraham, being the manly man that he was, said, well, I don't know, baby. You just do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do is fine. So at that point, Sarah, against all Eastern customs at that moment, Sarah set out to make life as miserable and as difficult as she possibly could for Hagar. And she rode her from the first thing in the morning until the last thing at night. And Hagar could not do anything right. Anything she tried was wrong, and Sarah was after her all the time. All the anguish that Sarah had experienced, all the, all the insecurity that she had felt in not being able to conceive, it came out, and she vented on Hagar. So what is Hagar going to do? Hagar is going to do what she always does. I'm talking to some of us here today, and we are the Hagars of life. When it's not going well, we run. When the job's not going well, we run. And we go from job to job. When the relationship's not going well, we run. We try to get away from it. When life is pressing in on us, we do the only thing that we know to do. We run. But what happens when we run out of fear? I mean, I, I remember years ago when I was hunting in Texas, I was about 13 or 14 years old. I was hunting quail on my grandfather's ranch. And I was scared to death of snakes. There are two kinds of snakes in this world. Did you know that? There are those that will hurt you, and there are those that will make you hurt yourself. (laughs) 
know, my grandfather's place, we had, a, we had what they call coach whips or, or black racers. They were snakes. They, they weren't poisonous, but they would chase you. I did not know that. I, I was concerned about diamondback rattlesnakes, which were all over that place. But I was looking for quail, and all of a sudden, I looked up, and there was a big black snake just slithering right toward me. Now, at moments like this, isn't it strange how you will do things that make no sense at all? I had a single-shot 12-gauge shotgun. And, and I, don't even, I didn't even aim at the snake. I mean, I just, and it didn't, it didn't even butt the gun, didn't bunt, butt the stock up against my shoulder. I think I held it about that far away from my shoulder and just fired the gun at midair. That thing kicked me like a Missouri mule. And that snake was still coming toward me. I dropped the gun. I ran as far as I, as fast as I could go. It did no particular direction. I, I got back to my uncles. They were asking me what happened. I told them, I said, oh, that snake was more afraid of you than you were afraid of it. I said, no, it wasn't because it was chasing me. <laughs> and they said, where's your gun? I said, I don't know. I left it right there. They said, you got to go back and get it. I said, I've been thinking about getting a new gun. Isn't it strange when we run, we don't run in any particular pattern, it can be totally erratic. I mean, you can be running from a bad relationship, and how many of us have run from a bad relationship right into another bad relationship? Because there's no plan. There's no direction. How many of us have run from a bad job right into a worse job, and we're thinking, oh, Lord, let me have my bad job back? And that's what Hagar's doing. I mean, you know, Sarah's making her life miserable. And she's a slave girl. So where's she going to run? Man, she lives in the middle of the desert. The only thing she knows to do is to try to go back in the general direction of Egypt to try to run through the desert. Listen, I want to tell you something. She would not have survived for 24 hours in that kind of environment. It was at that moment that somebody shows up. And this is what this whole message is about. In fact, when I, when I knew I was going to preach GPS, I had to start with this message. Because like I said, before you can find a destination with a GPS, the system has to find you. Somebody shows up and talks to Hagar. She's running. She's doing what she always do, does. She's doing what her name says. She's just running no place in particular out into the desert when the Bible says the angel of the Lord shows up. That's a code expression in the Old Testament. It doesn't say angels. It says the angel of the Lord. And by the way, the word angel just means messenger. Well, let me just give you this real quickly, and I'll get back into the story. You know, of course, that Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. He's the eternal Son of God. From the very beginning, God has always been a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When God made the world, he said, let us make, you know, man, humans, in our image. There's a plural there, because he's Father, Son, he's Holy Spirit. When Jesus came into our world, he was not a man who became God. He was God who became human. But you know, our Lord had a way of showing up even before he was born. This is more information than you want to know, but in theology, we call it a Christophany. It means a visual manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. For instance, we'll call him Jesus because that's his earthly name and that's the name we know him by. Jesus showed up and talked to Abraham one time, kind of gave him the plan. Um, he, he also showed up. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel when they wouldn't bow to the image and they were thrown into a furnace of fire? And the king said, hey, we threw three and I see four, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Yeah, it was Jesus who showed up there in the fire. A lot of us have been in some fires where Jesus showed up too, right? Daniel was put in the lion's den, and they would have eaten him, except Daniel said, 
The Lord sent his angel and he came in and he closed the mouths of the, of the lions. Jesus had a way of showing up in the Old Testament. And we're not surprised that he showed up with heroes like Abraham or Gideon or the three Hebrew children or Daniel. Not surprising. But one of the things that I love, I love this story. Because here is this girl, an Egyptian girl, who's a slave who has, in the sight of this world, zero value. We're talking the $170 Walmart version here. We're talking about a very ordinary person. And she's running, not particularly knowing where she's going. And along comes Jesus. This is so cool. I want you to read the story with me, or at least part of it, from Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Now, who's the angel of the Lord? That's our Lord. That's Jesus. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, two questions here. Where have you come from and where are you going? Notice that she's asked two questions. She gives one answer. She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. How many of us here today are running? If God came to you and said, where have you come from and where are you going? You could tell God where you came from. (laughs) He could say, God, I am in one messed up marriage. God, I I am in one messed up life. You want me to give you chapter and verse about why I'm so messed up? God, I can tell you. I can give you. I can tell you where I came from. But it's that second question when God says, just where are you headed? We don't know. We're running. (laughs) In the words of the old rock and roll song, with no particular place to go. We don't know where we're going. And that's what Jesus came to Hagar and asked her. He said, Hagar, where have you come from? And she said, I'm running from Sarah. And then where are you going? I don't have an answer for that one. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Thereafter, this is, this is the big part right here. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, quote, you are the God who sees me. Have you ever felt invisible? Maybe when you were in high school. And there were all the other beautiful people. There were the people getting elected to the cheerleading squad, people getting elected to to offices, people playing on the football team. And you just felt like you went to class every day and nobody saw you. Look right through you. Maybe it's where you work and you feel invisible. It's like you're just a number. You're You're just a tag on a lanyard. Hagar felt that way. She's a slave girl owned by good people doing bad, mistreated, no place to go back to, running in the middle of the wilderness. And who shows up but the most important person in the world with direction for Hagar? And Hagar said, you see me. The surprise in that story indicates that Hagar did not think up till that moment God saw her. But she was so delighted. In fact, the Hebrew means the seeing God. And there's a duality to this expression because Hagar said, you are the God who sees me and now I see you. 
I remember the first time I turned my GPS unit on. That was so cool. Because not only, you know, and, and, and this is so neat, I mean, there are, you know, 24 satellites orbiting the world, actually 27, the three extra in case one of them goes down. And they, they knew where I was, and knowing where I was, I could key in destinations, and it gave me direction. Well, that's just a mechanical electronic device. What's really awesome is that you have a God in the universe who sees you and who cares about you. And if you will sync up with him, he will help you get to your destination. You do know that God sees you, don't you? You say, Mark, I'm in a nightmarish situation. I don't know how I'm going to make it until the morning. Well, God sees you. God not only sees you, he knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows what causes you to cry at night when you lie on your, you know, lie on your bed and your head on your pillow. God knows the injustice. He knows how that people are treating you badly if you're experiencing injustice. God sees you. How many of you have experienced something in your life? And if you had just been in that intersection a split second later, you might have gone into eternity. How many of you have been, you just happened to be at the right place at the right time, or you weren't in the wrong place at the wrong time, and when, you, when, it, when it was over, you looked back and trembled and said, wow, that was so close. What we really should have said is, God, you saw me. I've had experiences like that in my life, and I could keep you here for another hour telling you about times, close calls in my life when it was so clear that God just saw me. I remember September a year ago, I'd been speaking in Texas, and I'd spoken at a conference down there, and I'm always anxious to get home. Listen, if I'm flying out, I always take the last plane out, and if I'm flying home, I take the first plane back. I just, you know, whenever I'm on the road, I want to get home as quick as I can. But this time I'd driven to Texas, and the last service was on, a, um, I guess, Sunday night, and I was driving home on a Monday morning, but I didn't want to wait till daylight to start. I wanted to leave about 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And got up in the darkness and got in my little subcompact car, and I'm driving through Texas and get to the Oklahoma border, South Oklahoma border. And I call Mary Alice, and she talks for a few moments. She says, is it raining where you are yet? I'm saying, no, it's not going to rain. There's not a cloud in the sky. The moment those words came out of my mouth, it started raining. I mean, it just started coming. It wasn't real heavy rain, just kind of an incessant rain. And I drove all the way through Oklahoma, and only the Lord knows how long it is to drive through Oklahoma, right? Or anybody else who's driven it. And I'm driving through Oklahoma, and I'm looking forward to getting home. And, and, and I had the cruise control set on about miles an hour, and, um, <laughs> which I, I've now learned is not a good idea to have cruise on when the road's wet. Because so many people have told me that since then. I drove all the way through Oklahoma, and I'm, you know, I'm praying. I'm, I'm just driving along, and, and I get into Kansas, and still raining. And, you know, I mean, I've fought the rain all this time. I'm at mile marker 38 over here on the turnpike. I'm just a few miles from Wichita. And I, to this day, I don't know what happened. All I know is I, I was coming around just a, a gentle bend in the road, and I don't know if, because the wind had just picked up real suddenly, I don't know if the wind caught my car. I don't know if I hit a slick spot. The patrolman said probably I hit a, 
you know, an oil spot on the road. I don't know what happened. I just know I experienced something I've never experienced before. I'm just coming around this bend at about 73 miles an hour, and all of a sudden the back of my car just gave way, and very gently my car is turning around so that I'm going back up the turnpike backward at 73 miles an hour on a slick road. Now, I don't know why, but I felt like I had a long time to think at that moment. My life flashed before my eyes. Other people's life flashed before my eyes. I mean, I'm going up the road backward, and here's what is on my mind. I'm going to hit something very hard. And then beyond that, I hadn't even looked to see what the traffic was like behind me. I, didn't, I thought maybe there are trucks, cars, whatever, that are going to hit me because they're not able to react. I just had a little while to think because my car was gently just swinging around and I'm going backward up the turnpike. And then, you know, while I'm waiting for this huge concussion with no control, not even, not even being able to see where I'm going, my car just slides over into that concrete median, and with the friction of the right side of my car and that concrete, I just slid gently up that embankment, I wasted the right side of my car, but I just came to a slow stop. And when I looked at oncoming traffic, because now I'm facing traffic in my lane, I looked down there, and it was like God had held everybody off for about a quarter of a mile. Now, at that point, there, were lot, there was lots of traffic. But I remember what I felt like at that moment because it was like God spoke to me and said, I hedged the whole time. And when I think back on that every time I'm driving past mile marker 38 over there, when I think back on that, I think about what Hagar said, God, you see me. You see me. And God sees you. And he has a destiny, he has a plan for your life. Now, what do you do? How, how do you go from the place where you say, thank God that you see me? How, how do you go from that place to like having God give you a route, a destination? Listen to what God said to Hagar, because it's really, really powerful. If you want God's will for your life, that is the number one question I've been asking 35 years of ministry. People ask me, how can I know God's will for my life? Let me give you three, three good things to do if you want to know God's plan for your life. We're going to be talking about this in the next three weeks, but let me just give you some things to start with. Number one, if you want to know God's will for your life, you tell God you'll accept it no matter what. My problem with God's will is I want to say, God, uh, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll check it out and think it over, and I'll, I'll kick it around for a little while and uh, see if I want to do some of it. God's not going to give you his will on that basis. What, what God wants is he wants people who will say... Before you even tell me, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to be obedient. So that's the first thing. I mean, here's the thing. It would be senseless for me to turn on my GPS unit if I wasn't going to pay attention to it. How much more with God, who is the God of the universe? So the first thing is you say, God, listen, what, what you want me to do, I'm going to do. I'm going to obey it. I don't know what it is, and it may sound crazy, which God's will usually does on the front end. Second thing. You do have to wait for God to do it his way. 
You know, a lot of us Christians, a lot, and I'm talking about people like me who've been in church for a long time, a lot of times we, we desperately want God's will in our lives, but we like want to interpret things. You know, I want to see a sign, you know. Maybe, you know, maybe God wants, I mean, uh, I see a sign on a board with somebody's name, and maybe that's the name of the girl that God wants me to marry. Or I see this, you know, I, I'm praying, God, do you want me to, do you want me to buy a house? And, and I see a real estate sign, so maybe God wants me to buy in this neighborhood. Why do we do that? We, we like see something and we, we take it as a sign. I heard about a guy that was driving around in the morning. He was on a diet, but he thought maybe it was God's will for him to go to Krispy Kreme to get a donut. After all, the light was on. It was calling him. So he started praying. He said, God, is it your will for me to have a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts? Could I just give us a little clue? We'll talk about this later. Listen, God's will will never go against his word. I've had people ask me once in a while, hey, Mark, you know what? I, my marriage is bad, but this gal at the office, she understands me. You think it's God's will for me to hook up with her? The answer is no. You don't have to ask God that. It's in the Bible. What this guy is saying, you know, Lord, if it's your will, I, I won't know if it's your will for me to have a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. And here's how it works, Lord. If I drive into that Krispy Kreme parking lot, if it's your will for me to have those donuts, let there be an empty parking space. And sure enough, on the 13th time around, there was an empty parking place. <laughs> I tell us that story because a lot of us, we like want God's will, but we want, we want God really to sign off on what we want. And we kind of like come up with all these signs and these cookie stuff. Listen, if you want God to give you his will, you must, according to the Bible, I'm going to use Bible terms here, you must wait for his counsel. See, here's one of the greatest truths I'll ever teach you from this platform. I always, always joke and say, I never have any trouble with God's will. It's this timetable that drives me nuts. God manages his will for your life through his timetable. You know, there are times when God will start indicating to you that he's going to have you take a particular direction, maybe pursue a particular kind of career. And so we'll say, okay, God, you want me to do this? And then I start pursuing all these avenues, and it's like all these doors are closed. And I'm saying, God, if it's your will for me to do this, why are you closing all these doors? The answer to that question is the timing is not right. The genius of God's will is his timetable. So number one, If you ask God for his plan, you have to be ready to obey it. Number two, you have to wait for God to show you what his perfect will is. But I love the story of Hagar. Because what did Jesus tell Hagar to do? I mean, what did she feel like doing? She felt like running, getting as far away from Sarah as she possibly could. But Jesus said, go back and fulfill your responsibilities. I've read this Bible several times through, many times through in places. You know what I've discovered when God reveals his will to some man or some woman in this book, they are always doing what they are supposed to be doing. God found busy people doing what they knew to be doing, and then God gave them future instructions. Somebody, I could be talking here today, and you say, Mark, I just know God has a bigger plan for my life. So should I just drop everything and then wait for God to give me his plan? No, just do what you do. Just fulfill your responsibilities. Listen, you know, you say, well, I feel like God wants me to have this great career somewhere, and I'm working in a supermarket right now. Well, you know what? Be the best worker at the supermarket. 
You say, Mark, I, I, I just feel like God has these wonderful things for me to do. Maybe I should just drop out of college. Listen, if God has you in college right now, be the best college student you can be because God will reveal his will to busy people. Jesus said to Hagar, go back, do what you do, and I'll take care of you. I know what we all want. We want a life without issues. I do. I don't ever want to be sick. I, I want everybody to love me. I don't want to have anybody agitated at me. I, I want to be successful at everything I touch. I don't want people that I love to have any problems. That's what I want, and I think that's what you want too. We'd be crazy to want trouble. But how many of us are really going to live a life like that? How many of us are really going to live a life where we don't have any problems with relationships? How many of us are going to live a life with every dream that we've ever had coming true? The story of Hagar tells us this. The chances are none of us is going to have a life like that. But you can handle life as long as you know that God sees you. When Hagar went back there, she was saying, I don't know that Sarah's going to change. You know, Sarah may be the same woman that she was when I left, but I can handle Sarah being hard on me as long as I know that God sees me. And then she said, God, not only do I know that you see me, I see you. Listen, if you want to get to your destination, that's how it works. You sink with God. You know, when I find my way around Kansas or any other town where I am with my GPS unit, my $170 Walmart system gets billions of dollars information because my unit is synced up with the satellite. Well, hey, I'm not worth a whole lot, but I'll tell you what, when I'm synced up with God, when I'm synced up with my destiny, when I'm synced up with God's plan for my life, this cheap Walmart system is able to live an incredible life, not because of who I am, but because of the information that I get from that eye in the sky. And that's true for every one of you here today. God sees you. Let's pray. Lord, we need to feel this today. We need to feel with all of our hearts that we're not alone, that you care about us and that you see us. And Father, I pray for those of us who are inclined to run away. I'm talking probably to some today, Lord, that are just running. They don't know where they're running, but it's just too painful to deal with the way life is. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that no matter what we encounter, that you see us and that you care about us and that you're at work in our lives. Father, I pray for your guidance. We realize that if we follow our own plans, we usually end up in the wrong place. But God, as we read your word and we listen to those stories of Christians throughout the ages, never once has any human being ever listened to you and wound up in the wrong place. We desire your direction in our lives. In Jesus' name. Just stay bowed with me for a moment in prayer. <laughs> you know what? For a long time, all those satellites were spinning out there in orbit, but I didn't have a system in my car. I didn't get any benefit from all those satellites because I didn't have a receiver. Friend, let me just tell you something. 
God loves you with all his heart. He's available for any person, any place, any time. But until you have a receiver inside of you, it'll all add up for nothing. So someone will say, well, Mark, how much does it cost me to get a system inside of me where I can receive from God? The answer is absolutely nothing. It's a free gift. And it's not an electronic piece of equipment. What we're talking about is having the living spirit of God inside of you. And the Bible tells us this, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, to move our sins out of the way between ourselves and God. And that if any human being will simply ask, believing in Jesus, if any human being will ask, we can have that wonderful relationship with God. You don't get it by joining a church. You don't get it by being good. Like you heard in the testimony, you don't get it from anything other than asking Christ to come into your life. And if you've never done that, I want to give you a chance, as I always do every weekend. Now, you can ask the Lord to come into your life. You don't have to use my words if you don't want to. But I am going to give you some words, and if you mean them from your heart, you can pray this prayer with me. You ready? Here we go. Jesus, I know I have failed you. I know I've sinned. I believe you died to pay for my sin. Forgive me and save me. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. That's such a simple prayer. But if your heart meant it, I'll tell you, God's on the other end of that prayer. And he will, he will come into your life and all the things you've ever dreamed of, God's direction, eternal life, all those are your possessions. Listen, I, I know that we just prayed that prayer real quickly and maybe you didn't have time to really understand and comprehend everything about it. But I have a gift I want to give you. There's a little packet, vinyl packet that's got some DVDs and some wonderful information that will help you know about the decision you just made. If you just prayed with me, would you do something? You got a worship folder when you came in. Part of it's detachable. You could just check the box that says, I prayed with Mark to accept Christ as my Savior. You can check that box. If you'll put your name and address on that, you can drop it in the offering plate when it comes by or the boxes by the back doors. If you're in the balcony or galleries, there's some boxes at the bottom of the staircase. And you can drop that card in there. I will mail it to you this week. As you guys know, I don't like to wait for anything. And if you don't like to wait, if you're like me, you don't have to wait. If you pray with me to receive Christ, you can just take your card right out to the middle of the, right where I'm pointing, right there to the outside uh, at New Spring Store or guest services. Just take your card and give it to them and say, I pray with Mark today. They'll give you the packet. You can take it with you today and start following Jesus. Guys. I cannot wait to bring the next three messages because week by week, I'm going to show us how God wants to give us direction for our lives and how we can live our lives in confidence, knowing that even when we're going through situations, that we're doing the very best that God can let us do. So we're going to have a great time as we go with this series. I'm going to.